Uh, if you've got a Bible this morning, open to Genesis chapter 11. And uh, Mother's Day is always, a, you know, it's a, certainly a day to rejoice. I know that it can also be a very uh, difficult day for some people, um, you know, with, with just the world and the way it is. Uh, some of you probably this year will be the very first year that you celebrate Mother's Day without your mother. And uh, my heart is compassionate to you. Uh, I've been praying for you this week. Uh, for some of you, that's been an ongoing thing. You know, your mom hasn't been here for a number of years, and, and this time of year is, is certainly you reflect on how awesome she was, but also, man, just the, the pain of that. And so our hearts go, go to you, and uh, some of you desire to be moms, and, and maybe God hasn't allowed that yet in your life, and my heart is certainly compassionate towards you. And so uh, we always want to be sensitive on Mother's Day and, and try to be encouraging from the Word of God to, to show us that, man, God... God designed motherhood. God, God designed it. He ordained it. Uh, it's a special thing. It really is a special thing. And, uh, and I think many of us in this room appreciate the impact that a mother had on our life. Uh, certainly, uh, it is a tremendous impact, as, as you saw in the video, man. Kid, even kids understand the, the provision that a mom brings to the home. And, uh, and for that, I'm eternally grateful uh, for, for the people that God's put in my life, for my mother in particular. And so this morning, we're going to look at a lady in the Bible uh, named Sarah in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at uh, some challenges that she went through uh, in becoming a mother. And I think this is an applicable passage of Scripture. We just came off of our women's conference called Adorn, and, uh, and, and that's based out of 1 Peter, and we'll look at the passage here in just a few minutes. But, but we, we, we chose that name for our women's conference for a very particular reason, because God says that this woman, Sarah, in the Old Testament adorned herself in such a way that it, that it showed that she trusted God with her life and with her circumstances, even though she faced challenges in her, fa in her family, in her marriage, with her husband, uh, in her own faith. She, she faced challenges, and yet, by God's grace and faith in his word, was able to overcome those challenges. And so this morning, I would like to just encourage you from the word of God in, in a message entitled, Sarah, Strengthened for Motherhood. And in Genesis chapter 11, uh, we're going to just begin the story. We've got a lot of background information we need to cover to kind of catch you up to speed on who Sarah is. So let me pray for us, and then we'll get right into the book uh, this morning. Father, again, thank you for the, the morning. Thank you for your word. Uh, God, as we study, uh, Lord, we know that you have the answer uh, to all things, God. We, we can trust that your word can open our hearts and open our ears to give us understanding, God, in, in a time where, Lord, there's so much uncertainty, there's challenges in our home, there's challenges in our culture, there's challenges in our church. God, with raising kids and being about the ministry and, and just the, the, even just the day-to-day -day working out of life, uh, it's full of challenges. And yet, God, you're going to show us through Sarah, Father, that we can, we can come to you believingly and we can see you, you do great things through faith in your finished word, that, that, God, your word can be authoritative in our life and it can make a change to, to make us stronger. And so, Lord, give us uh, what we need today. I, I thank you for every lady in this room. Uh, Lord, especially the moms today, God, I pray they're encouraged, and I pray you strengthen us, and we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 11, number one in your notes, if you want to follow along, uh, we're going to be introduced to Sarah's consort, and that's just a fancy way to say her, her spouse, because all the points have a letter C, and you got you to start with something. And so, and so in Genesis chapter 11, we find that Sarah is married to a man named Abraham, okay? And, and most of these verses will be on the screen. Genesis 11, verse 27. It says, now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begot Abram, 
Nahor and Haran, and Haran begot Lot, and Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees, and Abraham and Nahor took them wives, and the name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, and the name of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Ishkar, but Sarah was barren. And she had no child. And, and so as we, as we begin to study the life of Sarah, number one, we see that she's married to a guy named Abraham. And immediately God tells us that there's some challenges in her life, right? She, she's barren. She's not able to have children. That's going to become really important as we study this passage. A little more about Abraham, because we need to understand who she's married to. Abraham was a man that was called by God. And we see that in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. God comes to Abraham in verse 1. He says, The Lord said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And so this is kind of what we call the Abrahamic call or, or covenant, if you will, in Genesis chapter 12. Look at verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and, and Lot, his brother's son, and they had all the substance they had gathered and the souls they had gotten in Haran. They went forth to the land of Canaan, into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sikkim, into the plain of Morah, and the Canaanite was in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. Pay attention to that, because the Bible tells us that Sarah was barren in Genesis 11. But in Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abram to leave Haran and go to Canaan, God already promised in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7 that Abram was going to have seed. And that seed, his children, was going to inherit this land. Okay, and there, and there, Abram built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him, and he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east side of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. You say, why is all this important? Well, it, it is interesting because Sarah, at this point, is married. She's consort to a man that, number one, was called by God. God, God called out Abraham for a very specific purpose, a very specific reason. As a matter of fact, his call to Abraham involved, number one, a seed. He's promising that Abram's going to have children. And number two, he says that those children are going to inherit the land of Canaan. So right out of Genesis 12, we see that, man, Sarah is connected to a guy whom God is moving mightily, Okay. God is moving this marriage in a, a direction that's going to bring God glory. And so Abram's called by God. Number two, we find that Abram was responsive to God's word. I mean, when God called Abram to step out in faith and follow the Lord, he did. And by the way, he took his wife with him, right? I mean, listen, she, she's married to a guy that is hearing God's voice, that's responding rightly to God's word. God even works through the order of the marriage, because he calls Abram the husband. And as Abram responds rightly, man, he, he doesn't run off and leave his wife. And she actually follows God's leading through her husband. And so, man, I know this is in a marriage conference this morning, but can I just tell you, listen, young ladies in the room, listen, 
You need to consider what Abraham and Sarah represent to you as young people because who you marry matters. Who you marry matters. Young ladies in this room, is the guy I'm dating, ask this question, is the guy I'm dating responsive to God's word? Is he responsive to God's word? Will he lead me in the direction that God would have us to go? And too many times I've seen it, I've seen it over and over again. Listen, good, godly young ladies settle for way less than what God would have for them. And and listen, they do it all in the name of love. And, And come to find out, man, listen, those young ladies had a heart for God. They wanted to serve God. They were involved in ministry. They wanted to be used of God. But there came a point in their life where they didn't trust God enough to bring the right man into their life to lead her. And man, it presents challenges the rest of their married life. You say, Jay, this is Mother's Day. Get off my, get off my toes, man. I'm just telling you. <laughs> who you marry matters. Sarah married a man whom God was doing a work in his life. And man, she, can I just say that I think right off the bat, she's got a pretty awesome husband that's responding to God's word, right? Abraham heard the word of the Lord. He responded. So young men, ask yourself this question. Number one, is the girl I'm interested in submitting to the Lord's leadership in, his li- in her life because, because here's, the, here's the reality, if she's not going to obey God and follow God, how is she going to obey you as a husband? You can measure that by her obedience to her parents, by the way. Who, who is the God-given authority in her life? Does she model obedience to her parents? Does she have a, a pattern of obeying her heavenly father? Well, I love her so much, man, and she'll change once we get married. Bro. Bro, and listen, if, if the answer to that question is no, she's not really following the Lord and she's not submissive to her parents, can I just tell you, you're going to have a hard time leading her to where God would have both of you to go. And so who you marry matters. And listen, Sarah at this point has a godly man that fears God, that responds to God's word and is willing to lead her even when he doesn't have all the answers to her questions, she's still willing to follow. So number three, Abraham was obedient to God's word because in verse four, the Bible says, Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him and Lot went with him. And listen, Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. And and, and again, we know from Hebrews 11 and verse eight that Abram did this by faith. In other words, he heard God's call. He responded to God's word in faith. Hebrews 11 and verse eight says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, to go out into a place which he should receive for an inheritance, he obeyed and he went out not knowing whether he went. And I don't know how it works in your marriage, but I know how it works in my marriage. Because, man, here it is. Here's where we're going. Well, how long is it going to take to get there? Well, what are we going to do when we get there? Where exactly is this on the map? I mean, are we taking the car? Are we taking the Toyota? Are we taking the Lego? I mean, what, what are we doing? I mean, how far away is that? What are we going to take for the kids to do? And and listen, man, all those are reality in all of our marriages. But the truth is, Abraham was obedient to God's word. And man, he took his wife with him. And and, and again, I'm sure if she's like any wife in this room or watching online, she had questions. And listen, at the end of the day, I mean, there wasn't a list. There wasn't a schedule. There there was no determination yet that God gave of what this is going to look like. And yet... There was a man willing to lead and a wife willing to follow. 
And God paints a powerful picture of marriage in Genesis chapter 12 for us. And so men, we have to be the spiritual leaders of our home. The question is, are we taking our wife with us? Are we leading in a way that shows responsiveness to God's word? Number three, Abraham was a worshiper of God. Look at verse seven. It says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, unto thy seed, I will give this land. And he built there an altar to the Lord. And then you go a little further and he ends up in Bethel and there he built an altar to the Lord and he called upon the name of the Lord. I mean, listen, at this point in Abram's life, he looks like a disciple of Christ. He looks like a follower of God. He's obedient to God's word and he's a worshiper of God. He, he has a, a prayer life that calls out to God. He builds an altar to offer sacrifices to God. Sounds like a pretty godly dude. Sounds like a, he sounds like the real deal. That's what he sounds like. Okay, well, why does all this matter? Well, because that's who Sarah's connected to. That's who she's married to. And, and listen, as awesome as Abraham was in the beginning, Abraham faced some crisis in his life, like every man in this room has. He, he's had cha- he had challenges in his faith and walk with God, like every person in this room has. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. It says, Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south, and there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it's at this point in Abram's life that he experienced a crisis of faith because he knew God called him out. He was a worshiper of God. Man, he had a smoking hot wife that was willing to follow. And if you don't think she's smoking hot, hang around. We'll get to the text that proves it. I mean, he's got everything going right for him. And and then it gets hard. And man, doesn't it get hard? Doesn't it get hard? Now, if it doesn't get hard for you, I need to have you for coffee this week. And you you tell me how it is in your life where it doesn't get hard. Where challenges don't come in your your ministry, in your life, in your marriage. Listen, in my life, it gets hard. It's challenging. And And so this guy steps out on faith. He follows God. And all of a sudden now, there's a famine in the land. Well, God didn't say anything about that. That wasn't on the list that that I expected God to lay out. And and so challenges happen, and it's a crisis of our faith. And and there's a note in your notes that says, man, if you read from verse 9 down to verse 17, the Lord is not mentioned again in those verses. And the reason why is because Abram now is moving from faith to fear. And because there's a famine, instead of going where God intended for him to go, he begins to go to Egypt. In other words, Abram is going the wrong way. And listen, the Lord's not leading him anymore because because the Lord's never going to lead you back to Egypt. Egypt in your Bible is always a picture of sin, and it's a picture of the world system. I mean, when we study Egypt in the Bible, it was Egypt that had the children of Israel in bondage. And they had to be delivered from Egypt through the blood of the Passover lamb. It's a picture of sin. It's a picture of bondage. It's a picture of the world system. Pharaoh was king over Egypt. He's a picture of the devil and Satan and the Antichrist. And listen, the place that Abram went when his faith was challenged was back to Egypt. He's going to Egypt. And listen, that's a place that God never intended for you to go back to. Egypt is where God delivered Israel from. It's the iron furnace, according to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 20. It's a place that Israel was freed from so they could walk with God. But the sad reality is Egypt is the place where 
Christians run when they experience challenges while following God. And the, the sad reality is, in Abram's life, the same thing happens in my life, and the same thing happens in your life. When things get difficult, and God has called us to something greater than us, and, and we don't have all the details, when it doesn't go the way we planned or wanted or expected, and when famine comes, many times we go back to Egypt. It, it's a place where we have no business going, but many times as Christians, we run back when challenges come into our life. And so the truth is that we are either going to flee in fear like Abraham did during the famine, or we're going to be full of faith. And we're going to just trust that God called us to this. And because God called, he can provide. By the way, Genesis 12 tells us that God promised a seed. God promised a blessing. God promised a land. And none of those promises are void. And just because there's challenges in our lives, it doesn't mean that God's promises are void. And so listen, Abram experienced a crisis, and that crisis revealed a significant character flaw. A significant character flaw, and we see it in Genesis 12. Now, we're going to get to Sarah in just a second. But we've got to set all this up to understand her story. We have to understand her story and his story. So in Genesis 12, verse 11, it says, It came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt... That he said unto Sarah, his wife, behold, now I know thou art a fair woman to look upon. I told you. Translation of that is smoking hot. <laughs> you are a fair woman to look upon. You're fair. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Hey, I know it. I mean, Abram's just saying, hey, I know. Like, you know, I'll kick my coverage here. You are smoking hot. I know it. I want you to know that I know. That's what he's saying. Verse 12, therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, this is his wife, and they will kill me. But they will save thee alive because, I mean, you're smoking hot and I'm just an idiot, you know? So, okay, so look at verse 13. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy name's sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Now, now if you don't pay attention to what he just said, Abraham is fleeing Canaan to Egypt. He's leading his family in the wrong direction. Abram's not full of faith, but he's full of fear. And now he's manipulating a situation for his own survival. Tell them you're my sister so they don't kill me. Whoa, because all he was really worried about was himself, right? Now listen, in Genesis 20 and verse 12, he wasn't technically lying, technically, because Sarah was, if you go to Genesis 20, verse 12, I don't know if it's on the screen, uh, probably not on the screen, but, but Genesis 20, verse 12, it, it says, yet indeed, she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And so, and so again, kind of that weird Old Testament, like kind of, you know, almost from Alabama, like kind of my... <laughs> Can I marry this person? I mean, that's the kind of how it shook out. Okay, so, so he's not technically lying. Some of you are like, what? what? <laughs> Just go back and read it. Genesis 12 and verse 20 and verse 12. He's not technically lying, but what he's doing is there's a crisis of his faith and his true character comes out. Man, he's selfish. His marriage, it didn't... It, it, manifesting God's grace in, in their life. He's not being full of faith for his wife. He's not laying down his life for his wife like Christ would lay down his life for the church. As a matter of fact, he's worried about self-preservation. 
And so, man, crisis reveals his character. Just a side note, he says when we go to Egypt, they're going to see you and they're going to realize you're smoking hot and they're going to kill me. And, and just a side note, it's not in your notes, but listen, Egyptians only look at the outward appearance. In other words, if you want to think how a lost man thinks, you just look at everything from an outward appearance. Hey, I'm dating this girl. I'm dating this guy because they're, they're, they're smoking hot. They look good. I can't wait to spend the rest of my life looking at them, being with them. Listen, you're an idiot. That's the way an Egyptian thinks. They only, work, they only look on an outward appearance. God Almighty is the one that looks on the heart. Proverbs 31 and verse 30 says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. And listen, God says that our outward man is going to perish. And so you better be looking, you better be looking at something on the inside. If you're desiring a relationship, if you're desiring a spouse, you had better look on the inward man. Because listen, man, she'll be smoking hot for a minute, but then, you know, age kicks in at some point. Unless there's a steady stream of Botox. Okay, anyways, point, point number two. So we, man, that one, that one landed, didn't it? Okay. So we've seen Sarah's uh, consort. We've seen that she's connected to this man named Abraham. And you got to kind of feel sorry for her right now, right? Man, because he was all of that. And now he's just a manipulative, selfish, self-centered son of gun. Uh, and, and we many times would say, yeah, I, I've been married to that guy. And, and us as guys would say, man, I've been that guy. Okay. Okay. So what did she do? I mean, he's leading her, he's leading her to Egypt. This is not what God wanted. This is certainly not the behavior that, that God is glorified with. And he's certainly interested in himself instead of her well-being. Number two is Sarah's confidence. I mean, what's a gal to do? I mean, what's a gal to do? I mean, her husband's lost his mind. He's left his first love. He's no longer worshiping God. He's leading her in a direction that's obviously not where God intended. So here's the key in your notes. Trials reveal who and what we really trust. Okay, so now let's get the New Testament application because God has some, some admonishment concerning Sarah. And we get it out of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. It says, like, likewise... You wives, and again, don't tune me out. I know this is Mother's Day, man, but we're going somewhere. So just as we get to these verses, you're going to be like, man, what an idiot. Okay, no, we're going to land somewhere. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word. Abram was absolutely in a place where he wasn't obeying God's word. They also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. And, and so God is, is teaching us in 1 Peter 3 that, 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 listen, as a wife, you have tremendous influence and impact on your husband, even if he moves from a position of faith to a position of fear. If he's experiencing a crisis, and listen, his character is revealing a less than ideal walk with God, you as a wife have power in your marriage. As a matter of fact, your subjection, your following, your submission to him will actually be the vocal tone. Your lifestyle will be the megaphone that God uses to help your hard-headed husband. That word conversation in the King James Bible 
is actually a word that means what your life communicates. It's not what exactly comes out of your mouth, but it's your lifestyle. So look at verse 3, verse 2. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of the plating of hair and wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. And so listen, Sarah... Sarah, Sarah followed her husband right into Egypt. She submitted herself. She, she put herself in subjection. And can I just tell you that Sarah was never going to stand before the Lord and give an account for leading their family into Egypt. But what she was going to stand and give an account for was whom or what she truly trusted in when trials came. Okay, and so God gives us, verses 5 and 6, the key, right? Verse 3, excuse me, verse 5, 1 Peter 3 and verse 5. For after this manner, in the old time, and the old time is like Genesis 12, where we're at, 13, 14. The holy women also who trusted in, who did they trust in? They trusted in God. They adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands, even as, here's the key, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. And so, and so let me give you some practical things. And again, we're going to get to the mothering thing, but we can't get to the mothering thing without this point. Here's the key. Sarah adorned herself based on who she trusted. And at that point in Genesis, it was kind of hard to trust her husband, right? Because he's leading us in the wrong way. We're going into Egypt, man. There's nothing good in Egypt. Well, she just said, you know what? I don't have to trust him. I'm going to trust God. I, I, I know that God has said some things over our family. I'm going to trust God. And so here's the key. Her adorning was something that could be beheld by her husband. In other words, it wasn't just putting on an outfit and makeup and, and doing her hair and, and the, the, the jewelry associated with that. It was an outward adorning that started with an inward heart. And that chaste conversation was something that her husband could behold. And so, man, listen, practically, I mean, that guy you're married to, okay, yeah. He has some challenges in his faith, for sure. But, but your conversation, ladies, your manner of life, your conduct, your behavior practically has a tremendous impact on their life. And God says more through your life than he'll ever say through your voice. He'll say, he'll, he'll say more through your life than he'll ever say through your voice. And, and it's something that can be held by, be beheld by your husband. Now, practically, I'm talking about the person you're married to, but positionally, can I just tell you, your husband, Jesus Christ, the one whom you're a spouse to, he can behold your adorning as well. And so when a woman trusts God in the midst of trial, or her heavenly husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, he, he, he can witness that. He can experience that. He can see that very practically. Number two, Sarah's adorning was focused on the internal instead of the external. And so, listen, it, it doesn't mean that you don't wear makeup or, or do your hair. I mean, we have a line item budget for those things in our budget, man. We got like haircut line item and color and all that good stuff. I mean, it's, 
it, it, is, it is without question that's going to be in our budget. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's been communicated very clearly. <laughs> Here's the budget. <laughs> Getting the hair did right here. You know what I'm saying? And, and so listen, those things are, are important. But listen, sometimes the emphasis becomes on the external and sometimes those things try to compensate or cover up the internal inner man of the heart. How much time and effort and energy do we put on the external and how does that compare to the internal? And let me just tell you, listen, we're, if you're a Christian today, you're also part of the bride of Christ. And that sounds weird for a guy to know that I'm a husband to my wife, but I'm also part of the bride of Christ. But positionally, that's who we are. And God has called us as the bride of Christ to adorn ourselves and to work on that inner man. And so even the men in the room, how much time and effort and energy and money do you invest in the internal adorning versus the outward or the external? Man, Sarah adorned the inner man. Number three, her adorning is what made her holy because God calls her a holy woman. She's kind of old. She's OG, man. She's like, she's like the OG holy women. You know what I'm saying? Or OT, I guess, Old Testament. But, but I'm just saying in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God, they adorned themselves. In other words, she sanctified herself. She set her apart for God's use, even when her husband wasn't. And God calls her a holy woman. Number four, her adorning was something that only she could do because the verse says in verse five that she adorned herself. That woman adorned herself. It wasn't something her husband could force her to do, make her do, or manipulate her to do. She just trusted God. And so because she trusted God, her life reflected it. She's like the woman in Isaiah 61 in verse 10, the bride. And, and I don't think it's on the, on the, on the screen, but, but there's a verse in Isaiah 61 in verse 10. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. And my soul shall be joyful in my God. He hath clothed me with garments of salvation. Amen. Anybody saved in the room? He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness, his righteousness. Amen. Listen, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. And that's who we're called to be as believers in Christ. And so number five, listen, her adorning revealed who she truly trusted. And man... Uh, you could argue, man, Abraham's an idiot at this point. Why are you going to Egypt, bro? Well, there's a famine. Well, that's the pragmatic answer. There's a famine, so let's run to the world. Let's run to Egypt to fix our problems. How about we just believe that God called us out and God gave us promises and we're going to just trust his promises. I think I've read in the Bible where God can miraculously feed his people in the midst of a famine. I mean, is anything too hard for God? But boy, we're quick to go back to Egypt, right? And so Sarah, at least at this point, man, she's trusting in God, even when her husband's kind of being a knucklehead. Man, we're down in Egypt. I, yeah, I get it, man. You're worried about you because I'm smoking hot. Anyways, that situation worked itself out. Abram finally got it figured out. He repented. God brought him back out of Egypt and brought him right back to Bethel where he had to resume his worship of God. So there was restoration for Abram. And I think there was restoration for their marriage. Because really what we're talking about is husband and wife, right? I mean, we're talking about marriage this morning. 
Man, listen, you read that story and you say, man, I, I can relate to Sarah. I've, I've experienced those struggles. You read that story, you, you can relate to Abram. Man, I've, I've been that guy. I've led wrong. Okay. Well, let me just tell you, Abram was not the only person that had a crisis in this marriage. Number three, Sarah had a crisis. And so listen, at this point, she's shown that she can trust God even when her husband's not leading her right. She's able to adorn herself with a chaste conversation, a pure, clean, and faultless demeanor. But unfortunately, she faced her own crisis of faith when it came to having children. Because remember, she was barren. And she wanted to be a mother. And so look at Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. And we're going to see that Sarah also had a crisis. It says, Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And I'm sure that had an impact in her heart, in her, in her life. And I know it had an impact because of what happens next. She bare no children. She had a handmaid, an Egyptian. Well, that's very interesting. She had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my handmaid. It may be that I may, I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, do you, did you read that? Did you, do you understand what just happened? Sarah's crisis of faith in her own life was over the issue of children, where she had trusted God with her, with her husband that had kind of lost his mind for a minute. She couldn't trust God with her own need for children. And so now she manipulates a situation, by the way, using an Egyptian to bring about seed. So isn't it interesting that both Abram and Sarah, when their faith was challenged, both went back to Egypt? Okay, so let's unpack this for a second because Sarah has a crisis. So here's her problem. Number one, she blames God for her lack instead of considering her own lack of faith. Anybody in the room ever done that? Okay, turn your halo down if you haven't. Because listen, God had already promised both of them seed in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7. God reiterated that promise. You're going to have seed, and that seed is going to inhabit this land, Genesis 15 and verse 5. And by the way, God is not the one restraining her from bearing. Because as a matter of fact, God is going to be the one that provides her the ability to bear in God's timing. But, but, but isn't it interesting that without faith, her blame is to the very one that can provide what she needs? See, her blame was to God, and she blamed God for her lack, but what she didn't consider was her own lack of faith. And many times we do that. We blame God for our lack, and the truth is we're completely faithless in the final authority of his word. And I, I'm not trying to preach this morning. I really am trying to encourage. But can I just tell you that your problem many times and my problem many times is not with God and what he's not doing, but it's in our trust in what he's already said he's going to do. Number two, her problem is that she, secondly, she absorbs the authority in her husband's life. In other words, she wants him, she wants Abram to heed her voice instead of God's voice. And ladies, give me some grace right now. But can I just tell you right now, what she does is she becomes the replacement for God's authoritative voice in Abram's life. She tells Abram, here's what I want you to do. Now, number one, ladies, you need to understand the power of your voice in your marriage. 
it's significant. It's significant. And so, and so what we see is that Sarah wanted to fix in the flesh what she couldn't trust God for with faith. And so she said, I'll just do it myself. I'll do it without God. And the next thing you know, Abram's fornicating with the world. He's fornicating with an Egyptian and he's reaping the fruit of it. And the truth is many times there's Ishmael's in our life. Men, because we've moved the the authority of God's word from God to an outside voice. Ladies, you need to be careful. I I see the same thing in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6 because in in Genesis chapter 3 where this thing all started, Adam and Eve, man, are in the, the garden and they're naked and there's food everywhere. How much better does it get? It doesn't get any better. And they had the commandment, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Okay, well, well, the devil comes in and, and convinces them that they don't have everything God intended for them. And he does that through the woman. Genesis 3 and verse 6, it says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. In other words, here, here husband, take this and eat it. God said, you can eat anything you want except that tree. The wife said, no, go ahead and eat this. You see, there was a conflicting authority in Adam's life, and there was a conflicting authority in Abram's life, and Sarah asserted the authority of God's word in her husband's life and wanted him to give heed to her instead of what God said. I'm not trying to beat anybody down, but I'm just telling you, wives, your words have tremendous influence and impact in the life of your husband, do your words echo God's words to your husband? Or do they contradict God's words? God says, don't eat this. Eve said, eat this. God said, I'm going to give you seed and your marriage can stay pure and holy. Sarah said, here's an Egyptian handmaid. Go bear me some children by her. And man, again, Wives, we, we have to be careful. Men, we have to be careful which voice we're heeding. Because I'm going to tell you, this didn't work out good for Abram at all. As a matter of fact, Ishmael, if you just study historically the ramifications of this decision, well, it's still with us today. It's still with us today. Number three, Sarah's problem was that she became impatient with God's timing. Okay, so, so we know that they're 75 when God calls them out of Haran, Genesis 16, verse 15, it says, Hagar bore us, uh, Abram a son, and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare, Ishmael. Okay, so here's this Egyptian handmaid. He does what his wife says. He bears, he bears a son, and Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. In other words, at least 10 or 11 years have passed since Genesis chapter 12. Abram was 75 then. He's 86 now. Still no child. God must have forgot what he promised. And so I guess before it's too late, Sarah decided I'm going to get to work myself. Man, we get impatient with God's timing. Can I just tell you, God's plan for your life is just as important as God's timing. You can, you can rush God's timing in your relationship. I, I got a few minutes, so I'm going to chase a rabbit real quick. It'll land around here somewhere. You can outrun God's timing in your relationships, you can outrun God's timing 
in your ministry. You can think you're ready when you're not. You can think you're mature enough and you're not. Now, the, the opposite is also true. God has a specific timing, and you can blow it on the other end. Where God says, here it is, it's time, the time is now. No, I think I'll wait another 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. You see, God's timing is critically important in our life. His plan for our life is absolutely perfect. His will for every one of us is the same. His plan is unique and different, but it's perfect, and his timing is important. And so, and so don't get to a place where you're impatient, waiting on God to deliver what he's already promised. By the way, when he does that, only he can get the glory. And, and when, we, when we rush God's timing, many times, number one, we work it out in our flesh instead of our faith. And number two, the people that get the glory are us. Look, Sarah, look what I did. Look what I manipulated versus what only God can do. And so God said, okay, you're going to wait a little longer. You're going to wait a little longer. Sarah had a crisis of faith. And by the way, that's free marriage counseling because when you think that your husband's a moron, and he is many times, be careful because right on the tail end of that, you're probably going to have your own crisis of faith, ladies. And men, when you think your wife is, is kind of losing her brain a little bit and not walking with God and, and checking out a little bit, you better be careful because right on the end of that, you're probably going to have a crisis of faith too. There needs to be grace in this marriage. Amen? There, there needs to be forgiveness. There needs to be restoration. And again, if you put yourself in their marriage, that's a mess. I mean, we're going off into Egypt. We're fornicating with an Egyptian handmaid to have children. I mean, how much more whacked out can this get? Well, it can get whacked out when we move away from God's authority in our life. But here's the good news. There's grace. And there's mercy. And there's forgiveness. And I'm telling you, God is faithful. God is faithful, and we're just sinful men and women, man, trying to figure this thing out. God didn't write this couple off. God kept true to his promise. And the last point is this. We see Sarah's conception. And in the last hour and a half, I'll take this point and <laughs> divulge it. I'm just kidding. Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18 is the chapter right where the Lord and his angels are about to go into Sodom and Gomorrah and, and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. They show up at Abram's tent. Abram says, hey, man, let's make lunch. Genesis 18, verse 9, it says, They said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, this would be the Lord, I, I will return, excuse me, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. That's what he promised in Genesis chapter 12. That's what he promised in Genesis chapter 15. I mean, listen, God is still true to his word. And again, man, we try to mess it up, man, in our sin and our un unwillingness to just obey God. I'm telling you, God is still faithful when we're not. He comes back to Abram and he says, listen, your wife is going to have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old and well-stricken in years and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. And that's an Old Testament way of saying her body physically wasn't able or capable of having a child, of nursing a child. Therefore, verse 12, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, Am I waxed old 
After I'm waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And man, if you don't read the Bible with a little bit of imagination, you have to appreciate what she said there. She's like, (laughs) I mean, yeah, I mean, I used to be hot, but let's just be honest, you know, and have you seen him? I mean, he's like a bag of dust. I mean, come on. I mean, it just, (laughs) okay. And the Lord said to Abraham, <laughs> there's so many places I want to go right now, but I just, I need to, I need to keep it right here. <laughs> I guarantee I know what Abraham's thinking when he's hearing this, by the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. It's been a minute, right? Okay. <laughs> it's just the Bible, man. And the Lord said to Abraham, wherefore did Sarah laugh saying, shall I of a surety bear a child, which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And at the time appointed, I will return to thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not. Oh, she got called on her bluff, right? And she laughed in her, in her heart, but the Lord heard it, because God hears whatever you say inside. It didn't have to come out to, for the Lord to hear it. She said it inside her heart. She laughed inside her heart. Christ called her out on it. She denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, nay, but thou didst laugh. I heard you. I did. I I said it in my heart. Y'all heard it. Okay. And man, listen, the point is God kept his word. God was faithful. Even when we're not, God is faithful. Here's the key and and here's the key verse and here's the key blank. Everything we've said is, is tried to get us to this point. Sarah had to judge in her own heart whether or not God was faithful. She had to judge in her own heart whether or not God was faithful to his word. And the answer is Hebrews 11, verses 11 and 12. And listen, this is worth underlining, highlighting, memorizing. This is it. Through faith also, Sarah herself. You see, you thought this whole story was about Abram. No, it's about both of them. Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. Why? Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Man, God gave her strength when she finally judged that God is good, God is faithful, God is authoritative, God makes promises he can't break, God is not a liar, he's not a man, he's God. And because God keeps his word, I have to come to the place that I trust his word above all things, above what I can work out in my flesh, above what my husband can do for me and in our marriage. I have to trust God himself. And when I trust God myself, he gives me the strength that I need. And in this case, ultimately to conceive seed. Verse 12, therefore spring there even of one and him as good as dead concerning Abraham. So many as the stars of the sky in multitude and the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. You see, both Abraham and Sarah's bodies physically were as good as dead. And yet because of God's faithfulness to his promises and their faith in the finished word of God, they were able to bear fruit. And can I just tell you, that's what God wants out of our life. 
God, God wants fruit physically for sure, but God wants fruit spiritually. There are some Christians in this room that are incapable in their flesh, and they've tried everything in their life according to their flesh to bear fruit for God's glory's sake. There's a bunch of Ishmaels running around, and we have to get to the place where we just trust God at his word, that we judge him faithful. We need to stop fornicating with Egypt and start trusting in God's ability and in God's strength. And that's true for us as individuals, and that's true for us as a church. We want to grow as a church, but listen, if we're going and fornicating with Egypt to see it accomplished, we've messed up. And what we'll have is not a child of promise, Isaac. What we'll have is Ishmael's. No offense, we don't need a church full of Ishmael's. We We need spiritual, miraculous birth that only God can provide. So here's the last key in your notes. Listen, Sarah received strength based on God's faithfulness. Genesis 21, man. God comes full circle. That promise that started in Genesis chapter 12 is fulfilled in Genesis chapter 21. The Bible says the Lord visited Sarah. Listen, pay attention to the words. As he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age. By the way, she was old too, but you know, he's older, 10 years older. Oh, and God did it at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abram called the name of his son, which was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. Verse 4, Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abram was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear me will laugh with me. And she said, would... Who, who would have God said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. By the way, that's 25 years after Genesis chapter 12. Abram's 100 years old. Sarah's 90 years old. Not only did God give her strength to conceive and bear a son, by the way, she gave him, she, he gave her the ability to nourish that son, to nurse that son. Her body was alive and efficient and strengthened through faith in God's word. It was all reckoned because of her faith. And so as we, as we kind of wind this thing down, man, Sarah had strength to, to, she had strength for motherhood through faith in God's word. Ladies, you have a tough job. I don't envy you a bit. I'm thankful that we can do things like we do today and, and celebrate and honor moms you're, you're worthy of it, without a doubt. You're worthy of it. You have a hard task to fulfill. Let me encourage you. You don't have to fill that. You don't have to fulfill that calling in your flesh. And you don't have to fulfill that calling by going back to the world. You can do it according to faith in God's word. And, and my prayer is that God does give you an Abraham that leads you. And men, we ought to be the Abrahams that lead our wives. But even when we don't, ladies, you can still trust God. Because at the end of the day, your provision doesn't come from your husband. Your protection doesn't come from your husband. It comes from God Almighty and his finished word. Men, let us be an example of Christ in our marriage. Ladies, let you be the example of the church and its relationship to Christ. And let us all judge that God keeps his promises. Man, he's faithful. 
We just have to have enough faith to believe it. I put a couple of verses from the Psalms up real quick just to, to, to give you an encouragement. Listen, Psalm 92, verses 13 to 14 says, those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bring forth fruit in old age. That's exactly what happened to Sarah. They shall be fat and flourishing to show the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Psalm 20 and verse 7, some trust in chariots, some in horses, some in their bank account, some in their 401k, some in their health insurance, some in their husband or wife's provision, some in their flesh. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 31, verse 14. But I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my God. And that's what Sarah did. And that's what Abram did. And man, I think we can learn from that example. Let me ask you this morning, listen, number one, have you ever put your trust in God to save you from your sin? That's the first place we have to start. So you can't trust God with your life and your marriage and your children and your role as a wife or your role as a husband. You can't trust God with that until you've trusted him with your soul for eternity. And see, Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago, and he died for your sin and for my sin. And that finished work on the cross of Calvary is what is able to, to make us forgiven and clean in God's eyes. And see, our salvation is works-based. It's, it's, it's on the work of Jesus Christ himself. There's nothing you and I can do to secure that in our life other than just to believe what Christ has done for us. It's faith in his finished work. And so have you trusted God for your salvation? Have you trusted the finished work of Christ? Number two, will you leave today trusting God for your marriage, for your home, for your role as a husband, for your role as a wife, for your children? Will you commit today to trust God in his word? Because listen, if you can trust him, he'll deliver. And it may not be in your timing or the way that you and I think it should happen, but man, God keeps his word. God keeps his word.